Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 39. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Asked Philip. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a lamb, sorry, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Amen. Amen. I'm 60 at the end of the year, that's why I forget things. I am preaching from the right passage, I just put it down wrong, but these things happen, don't they, when we get older, and our mind is fogged. Right, isn't it great that we're all together, and uh, the Lord is with us, for sure, so praise the Lord for that. Um, Philip and the eunuch, I'm just going to say a few little things about this, this evening. Let me just say this, first of all, it's no coincidence that each one of us are actually here right now. We're here because something's happened to these people, these three, who are getting baptised. Because they're not what they once used to be. You may not understand necessarily what's happened to these three. But you know something's happened and you know there's been a change. You know why? Because God has changed them. And now he's given all of us an opportunity to hear about him and let him change us too which is always the case when we hear his word and praise his name. You see, God has engineered, you may not know this, and I don't always think about it, but God has engineered your circumstances and mine right up to this very point as you sit in your chair. Just like he did in this account with Philip and the eunuch. Now, eunuch is somebody who's had his testicles chopped off. So, um, and that was done so that he's safe among women. 
and that temptation doesn't come his way. That's one of the reasons. He's also um, uh, in the treasury, high up in the treasury, and that will also stop him from being bribed by women, lured away by women and everything else. Not that women are the enemy, don't get me wrong, but he can't do anything about it even if they were. So what I want us to see here is this. God is engineering the circumstances in this passage. God guides Philip to bump into, in inverted commas, this eunuch. eunuch. Uh, verse 26 that John read to us. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south road <clears throat> that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit, that's God, told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Meanwhile, God also guides the eunuch to bump into Philip. Philip goes up to the chariot and Enoch, Enoch, uh, eunuch is reading his Bible. And we see in verse 30, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. That's in our Old Testament. Now, Philip knows that God's directing him. But the interesting thing is that the eunuch hasn't got a clue that God is directing him. He's sitting in his chariot, as you do, minding his own business. But he's picked up the Bible. And he's just been to worship in Jerusalem. Maybe that's what they were reading and he can't make head nor tail of it. But he's reading it, but he doesn't know what it's on about. But God's ten steps ahead. Because God knows the eunuch in his heart wants to know what it is about. Because when Philip asks him in verse 30, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? I don't get it. It's no coincidence that you're here today for that very reason. You may not know it, but God has brought you here. And like this eunuch, I don't know whether you've ever read the Bible, and you can't make head nor tail of it. It doesn't make sense, you just don't get it. It's even boring, and it's kind of black and white and not colour. It doesn't really, it doesn't mean anything to you. Well, that was me, and that was many others, that now God has opened the pages of that Bible and, and struck them with it in a big way. But why is it that often the Bible doesn't appear to make sense and it seems like we're reading it in black and white instead of HD. Because the Bible is God-inspired, so it takes God to explain it to you. Well, how does he do that? He opens your spiritual eyes. Did you know that you have spiritual eyes that are currently, if you don't know Jesus, they're shut? And he comes and he opens your spiritual eyes so you can see what he wants to show you. And he opens your spiritual ears to hear what he wants to say to you. And he does have something to say to you right here, right now. 1 Corinthians 2.14 in the Bible says this. The person without the Spirit, that's God, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. For they're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because... They are spiritually discerned. Make no mistake, God wants to say something to you here this evening. 
Will you listen just for 10 more minutes? So God sends Philip to explain what God is saying to the eunuch. And the eunuch wants to know, as we've seen, so he invites Philip to come up and sit with him. Do you want to, if, if there is a God, and there is, but if, if, just for the sake of argument, there is a God, would you want to know what that God wants to say to you? Most people would. That's good. But let me say something to those who already know God, who are Christians. We have to be careful not to ram God down people's throats because it never works. I had that from Tiny and it drove me all the way from God. But God will and, gu and does guide you to those who want to hear as well. And he guided these three because they wanted to hear. But if you're not yet a Christian, if you do not yet know Jesus, maybe you've seen the change in those who are being baptised and it's made you curious. You kind of think, well, what on earth has happened? And like the eunuch, you want to know what's happened and why this person is now following Jesus because so many months ago they weren't. Well, tune in. So here we go. The eunuch was reading about Jesus, but he didn't know it. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sleep to the... <laughs> it's catching, isn't it? He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet Isaiah talking about, himself or someone else? Now this book comes from the Old Testament. It's the book of Isaiah, surprisingly. And it's chapter 53 and it's verses 7 to 8. But the great thing about this book is it was written 700 years before there was ever a Jesus that came upon the earth. And yet it's all about him. This describes him. It's especially about him and his death. Why would it be so gory and gruesome? Well, we shall find out. But he was charged with a crime he didn't commit and he was given the death penalty. And we see in that thing that was quoted to us that he went to the slaughter like a sheep and the Lambeth shearer was silent. He went quietly to his death. Everybody else that was going to be crucified would be raging and would, in its agony too. But he was composed. Not that he didn't feel pain, but he was at peace. The interesting thing is crucifixion was not invented until about 700 years after this prophecy was written. Yet we read in this book of Isaiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions, that sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we're healed. Well, that doesn't make any sense. But it says peers. It also goes on that this person was assigned a grave with the wicked. Sure enough, Jesus was crucified with two robbers, 
two guilty criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And then it says, and he was with the rich in his death. Now Jesus hadn't got a penny to rub together, but we read this in Matthew 27, when it actually happened those hundreds of years later. As evening approached, there came a rich man named Joseph. He asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered it that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, placed it in his own new tomb that he'd cut out the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and he went away. Isaiah then says that this person who he writes about died and then came back to life again. Verse 11, after the suffering of his soul, of Isaiah, he will see the light of life and be satisfied, the one Isaiah is writing about. So although he died, Isaiah is telling us that this person then sees the light of life and is made alive again. So let's quickly sum up. The person the eunuch is reading about, doesn't know who he is, was charged with a crime he didn't commit, suffered and sentenced to death with the wicked, buried with the rich in his death, rose from the dead and lived again and was satisfied. Any prizes for guessing who that might be? Only one person in the whole of history comes to mind. One person who fits this absolutely perfectly, his name is Jesus. Who for 700 years later fulfilled every single part of this particular prophecy and 60 other prophecies in the Old Testament about this coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled every single one. So I think it might be time for us today to give this Jesus the benefit of the doubt. What on earth have any of us got to lose? People come up to us, don't they, and they say, do you want the bad news or the good news? I don't think it really makes any difference. Just get it over with. And then some people want the good news and the bad, but then that leaves you feeling sad afterwards. Other people want the bad, but then they like the good because then they can go away rejoicing. I don't think it works either way, does it? There is bad news. But there's also good news. It was bad that this innocent man Jesus suffered and died a violent death on the cross. It was a huge injustice, or so it seemed. But no, actually, it's good news. It's incredibly good. It's the best good news you'll ever have. It's better than getting married. Better than having a kid. Better than... Whatever. And Philip tells the eunuch, what he's reading is good news. Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. How can an innocent man dying on a cross ever be good news? Well, the reason is this, because of why he died. You see, something amazing happened on that cross. That never happened to anybody else that was crucified, but it happened to him, the only one that was qualified for it to happen to. And what happened on that cross was God took all our sins, humanity's sins, and put them on Jesus who didn't have any sin. There was a big transfer going on on that cross. It says in verse 5 of the prophet Isaiah, he was pierced for our 
sins. Crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He experienced torment so that when we trust in him we can have peace. And by his wounds we're healed. And then it says, we all, every single one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to their own way. And the Lord has, and what's God done about it? Laid on him the sin of us all. Now if God is real, you don't want that God to be evil. And he isn't. Because the real and true God doesn't have any sin. He has never thought or said or done anything wrong. Now you and I can't imagine that. It's impossible. It's a pipe dream. Because we, from day one, we, we, you know, we might not remember, but you know how difficult it is to never have a bad thought about anyone or anything. You wouldn't last an hour. But you never tell anyone. <laughs> this God has just got clean. 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 He's never thought, said or done anything wrong. And this God is 100% love and longs to outpour his love on each one of his creation. But there's one thing stopping him. He is also 100% just. In other words, he has to punish anything that is wrong. So that means if he wants a closer than close relationship with you and me, he needs to find a way where his justice against our wrong is fully satisfied so that his 100% love can be shown to us. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus was on the cross and that's why it's good news. Because on the cross is the only place where God's 100% justice and his 100% love meet together. And both are satisfied. God punished Jesus for the wrongs we've done. So it cleared the way then for him to show us his 100% love and be able to forgive us for our wrongs. Let me explain it in simple terms. If you break the law, you have to go before a judge and be punished for that crime. What Jesus did was he stood before God, who is the judge of the whole earth, who would condemn you for even a white lie or an evil thought. But Jesus stood before him instead of you and was declared guilty for the crimes you've committed. So the judge turns to Jesus, not you, and punishes him instead of you. That's exactly what happened on the cross. There was only one who was without sin. And he agreed to take the punishment for our sin. That is really good news. Because that is an incredible hope for the future. It is a brand new life. It is a clean slate. It is no more guilt and shame. <coughs> it's good news. Because Jesus has made a way back to God now. Here's the only thing you need to do. You have to ask him to forgive you for the wrongs you've committed.
I have a row with my wife, never happens, but if I was to have a row with my wife, I'm not forgiven until I go and admit I'm wrong. And I ask her to forgive me. Because you husbands and wives know that there's no way forward. There's no reconciliation. There is no real peace until I fess up. That's exactly how God works. Because God is no different in the sense that we have horizontal relationships, he has vertical relationships. Now these three that are getting baptised have come to the point where they've done exactly that to God, with God. They've realised they've done wrong. They've seen that Jesus paid for their wrong on the cross. So they've admitted their wrong. They've said, I'm sorry, Lord, and I, please forgive me for all the wrong things I've ever done. And he has. And now, at that point, they began a brand new life. Walking side by side with a brand new person. They never once knew him, now they know him. And that person will be through them, through every problem in their lives. And he'll still be with them as they die. And when they die. And after they die. And when everyone else has died. Or everybody else has left, because they will. He remains. And his name is Jesus. And that's good news. God's written you a blank check in the blood of his own son, Jesus. But that check is no use whatsoever if you just put it in the drawer and leave it there. You have to cash it in. How do you do that? All God asks is for you to bring all your sin. Don't wait till you're good enough, it's never going to happen. Bring all your sin, all of it, admit it, confess it, and give it all to him. And he will instantly forgive you, and he'll give you a brand new heart, and a brand new start, and a brand new life. What's not to like? Will you come to Jesus if you don't know him? Will you come right here? And right now, these three have, and they are grateful and they are thankful and they're coming to show you by symbolism what has already happened inside of their hearts and lives. Their sin is forgiven. Their guilt has gone. Their shame is covered. Jesus is alive to change and keep on changing you from the inside out. Turning over a new leaf does not work. It's all external or it's willpower. <laughs> I've got no willpower. Um, you probably haven't, but even if you have, it doesn't change you from the inside out. That's what matters. God deals with the heart. He gets right into the heart. And he puts all the filth away. And he fills you with him. And he gives you a new heart. And you get desires that you never had before to love him, to worship him, to live for him. I was just talking to Anna the other day. What she's got now is a desire 
to serve Jesus, to love Jesus. She was talking about a God consciousness, which she never had before. You go out in the street and you ask somebody, are you, do you, are you bothered that God thinks this and God thinks that? They say, no, who's God and who cares? Um, are you bothered that you're following Jesus? No, I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. Well, Anna does now, and so do many people. Because when he changes you and when he works in you, you become God conscious about everything you do. You, want, you love him, you please him, you, you want to live for him. You would die for him if you, if you had to, just as he died for us. There is nothing better, my friends. We've got addicts in here. Anna's one herself. I used to be one. There is nothing better than having Jesus in your life. For anybody that's interested, uh, we do run a course called Christianity Explored. It's coming up on the screen in a minute. Um, and exploring Jesus. It's not about religion. It's not really about Christianity in terms of religion. It's all about discovering who Jesus is. If you're interested, come and see me afterwards. Or go and see Malcolm, if you're with Malcolm. Or go and see John. Or anybody you've come with. And we can definitely set one up soon. <coughs> but many people have gone through that. And they've come out completely changed. Many people. I can think of 20 plus. Uh, it's well worth. This Jesus is well worth giving the benefit of the doubt. At least you'll know then whether he's real or not. Let me read you the last bit of our passage as we close. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. That's what we'll be doing. And Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. John's going to explain all that to you in a minute about baptism and what it is. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Simon. We're going to play a little video in a minute, just to give us an opportunity to get the covers off and stuff like that. Um, ooh, I'm not the only one with my phone turned on, whoever that was. Um, uh, let me just take you back just for a minute. Um, take, take you back to 1820, all right? There was a guy, a Scottish preacher, called Thomas Chalmers, and he, wrote a, he actually preached a sermon called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And uh, this was published and it became hugely, hugely well known. The expulsive power of a new affection. And I can sum it up for you in one sentence. It's the idea that it's very, very hard to leave bad stuff behind. What you need to do is have something good to replace you with. And when you replace bad stuff with good stuff, the good stuff pushes out the bad stuff. You just don't need that anymore. And Thomas Chalmers had, wrote, his, wrote his brilliant sermon that was saying, if you have Jesus, if you have Jesus with all his glory uh, and with all of his beauty and all of the wonder of everything he is, all of his grace, and you know what? If you know Jesus, the bad stuff just gets pushed out because there's no space for both. We're going to play a video, and I'm grateful to Jamie for finding this for me. It's, it's great. It's a song based on, I think, on that sermon. Um, it's called The Power of a Great Affection. Thank you.
explain the grace of kindness There's no reason that can satisfy enough The healing of this blindness I've been seized by the power of a great affection I've been seized by the power of a great affection I don't know about you, it may be that you've never seen a baptism before. Um, 
it might be that looking at, I don't know if you can, can you see this on the screen yet? No, you want to, you want to stick it on the screen? Yeah. Um, it might be that looking at this, you think, well, you know, frankly, this is just a bit weird. Um, well, <clears throat> it's what believers in Jesus Christ have done for the last 2,000 odd years. So we haven't invented this. Um, there's nothing special about this water. In fact, I'd love to say it was really clean, but... <laughs> yeah. um, it, this is just bog-standard 7 Trent water heated up by a uh, Worcester Bosch boiler in the kitchen there. There's nothing special about this water. It's not been prayed over. It's not been, you know, I don't know, had some incantations or spells or something. It's just plain old water. And um, the purpose of what we're doing when we baptise these three is symbolic. This, this isn't going to literally wash their sin away or anything like that. It's, it's a symbol. It's a, it's a picture of what God has already done in, in their lives. Uh, and really, there's, there's two pictures, really. One, one is, like I mentioned just now, the washing. Washing. Uh, and this, this idea, you know, when you have a bath, you wash the, the dirt off your body, don't you? Well, when you, when you are baptised, we're saying, you know what, God has washed my sin away. Uh, and it's not stuck to me anymore. It's, it's, it's gone. It's gone down the plug hole and out of the way. You know, it's not mine anymore. I've been washed clean. That's one symbol. The other symbol is, is about death and life, actually. Um, I always say this, so forgive me if you've heard this a million times before, Parkites. But um, well, really, the, it, it's a bit like a grave, isn't it? Especially the way we do this here, it's a bit. It looks a bit like a grave, and that's not by accident. Uh, and what we do when we go down into the water, and we put people down into the water, we're we're saying this is a symbol of death. Like the old you is dead, but there's a new you is going to be raised to life again. So we, we, we don't keep you under very... Well, Sam keeps you under a bit longer than I do, frankly. So, <laughs> but we don't keep you under very long, just for a, a second or something. But it's that symbolism of the, the old has died and the new has been made alive. Jesus has given you a new life. So that's what baptism is all about. 